1: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And we're in the middle of a series called Awake with a message called Eyes Wide Open. Pastor Sean is going to challenge you with this. Now, Jesus believed in and lived in relationship to an unseen spiritual world. So why do some people believe and others don't? How can we be awakened to unseen realities that have the potential to change our lives forever? You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the sermon page as seen at reallife.org. We're picking up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 6. It's part two of Eyes Wide Open. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: I want you to just be aware when you hear these scientists naturalists who tell you anything outside of the natural world isn't real i just want you to understand they have a motive they have a motive and it's not a scientific one it's often a moral one or a philosophical one see that's where hebrews eleven three is so important by faith we understand that the universe was formed at god's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible the unseen is real and we live in a world that says seeing is believing i just want to say that's a problem that's a problem. Even Jesus said in John 20, 29, they said to Thomas, remember, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This faith of ours involves interacting with and responding to the unseen. See, the resurrected life awakens me to the world of the unseen. A couple observations Paul makes in his passage in 2 Corinthians 4. I find my eyes are open to the spirit world. My eyes are open to the spirit world in, in Chapter 4, he talked about the God of this age. He's talking about something in the spirit world. In Ephesians chapter 6, he wrote it this way, beginning at verse 10. He said, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now you have to decide, is he talking metaphorically there, some kind of personification of evil for literary purposes? Or is he saying, no, no, there's a real spiritual enemy that we face. And you use the phrase the Bible uses, the devil. Well, when you go on, it becomes pretty obvious. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, some of you right now, that's something you need to just file away and recognize, because you right now have some flesh and blood people who are making your life miserable. Okay, Maybe a conflict, maybe someone, a group of people, maybe a person, maybe something you're facing, and you go, they're the enemy. And what I want you to know is Paul is saying, no, no, they're not. They're not the enemy. In fact, they're people who, just like us, are far from God and without Jesus, we're lost. And, and when we find life in Christ, we can be transformed, and that's his desire for them. In other words, they're the people we're called to set free. They're not the enemy. Oh, come on. Some of you are like, can't they be the enemy just a little bit like a... Sp-? How about the political party that it's opposed to me? Can't I... They, they can be a little of the enemy. Yeah, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, no, those people in the political party that you oppose, they're just like you apart from, apart from Christ. Lost. Lost without Jesus. And they're the ones we're supposed to bring the good news of reconciliation to. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but he's not saying we don't have a struggle. Oh, it's real. This is why sometimes it makes you want to pull your hair out. It's like, how can people think that? Where, Where is this coming from? He says, it's coming from rulers and authorities against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And you have to decide how you're going to process that. What do you believe about that? See, I think if I could give each one of you on the way in, you know, in the movie theater, they give you 3D glasses that you have to drop in the little bin on the way out. I wish I could give you glasses, okay, that you could put on. And when you don't have them on, it's like you see everything here. It's so nice to see all these wonderful people right here. Perfect. But when you put them on, you see the spiritual world around us. Okay? So you're sitting there, and, you know, movie hasn't started yet. Okay. And it's time to put your glasses on, and you're going to see the spiritual world. And you're like, well, what am I going to see? Holy cow! Wow! I'm taking these off. That is not, that's some scary stuff. Right? You all of a sudden see all the spiritual stuff that we talk about, we believe is real, but we act like it's not. I wonder if we could take glasses and put it on oh man i see god's spirit i see the holy spirit oh that's good i see some angels wow i see demons i see dark spirits oh i also look at people and i see them differently i don't just see the flesh and their their natural appearance i see their spirit i see the eternal part of them if we could put these glasses on and see the spiritual world. I think it would radically transform us. And and what Paul is saying is, I want you to see that. He said, that's the part that is lasting. The other part, yeah, not so much. How do you process this? How do we actually live this out? Now, I grew up in a church tradition. One, one, I grew up in like, you know, I've grown up in church, right? So I could go to a support group. Hi, I'm Sean, and I grew up in church. You know, hi, Sean, you know. Mine would be called Churches Stranger Than Fiction Group, right? And I grew up, as m- many of you guys know, I grew up in hardcore church, okay? Many of you guys grew up in, you know, respectable kind of church. I grew up in Pentecostal church. So, I mean, we, you know, hmm. Preacher didn't preach an hour and 20, an hour and 30. He hadn't heard from God. And I'd be sitting there, oh, God, I'm hearing from God right now. He wants us to leave. Help me. There's a guy in the back going, oh, good, at least you understand what I'm going through right now, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) But there were some people in those circles that would just be so bizarre. And, you know, everything was about the devil, and they'd see a demon behind anything. Any little thing, oh, it's the devil, it's a demon. They love getting into naming different demons and different things that are happening. Which, Again, I I understand the idea of spiritual warfare, but this was not warfare, this was weirdness. They were spiritual weirdness. And they would take things that kind of the Bible says this little piece, and then they build this whole thing and write a book. And people were fascinated by it and soaking it up because it was weird and people love weird. Wasn't biblical, but it was weird. And so because of the weirdness and that whole thing, a whole lot of other people, probably for a number of years, myself included, we kind of just didn't want any part of it. And we just kind of ignored it. Okay. Which again, I don't think you can give a fair reading of the Scripture and think that's a responsible approach, because the Bible tells us about the unseen and the spirit world. But because of the extremes, we kind of went the pendulum went the other way, and I don't think that's—I don't think we're supposed to give in to the weirdness. I think we're supposed to actually be people who are willing to recognize there's a warfare. There's a warfare. And the Bible tells us how to conduct spiritual warfare. And I've told you before, I've, I've taught on it more extensively. We don't have time to do that now. But, <clears throat> but very simply, there is a scripture that, to me, is kind of the bottom line of my go-to when it comes to spiritual warfare. This is how you conduct spiritual warfare. And it's James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, here's the problem. I heard this I heard this quoted. I heard this talked about. I heard people who quoted this verse. You know what James 4, 7 says? It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Sorry for the southern part. It just happened that way a lot. <laughs> resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's what the Bible says. And I'm like, well, well, is that the whole verse? Because see, they missed the most important part. They missed the power part. See, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, or submit yourselves then to God, which is a big deal. Submitting yourself to God says, God, I'm under your lordship. I'm under your leadership. I'm, I'm in the, I'm kind of, I've set myself in the path of your direction. I'm under your leadership. When you've done that, that is the greatest thing you can do when it comes to spiritual warfare. He doesn't say that that you'll never have to encounter anything. The devil, he'll never be tempted. You'll never have anything like that. He just says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not he might. He will. And let me tell you the secret. The reason he's going to flee is because you're submitted to God. And he's not fleeing from you. He's fleeing from your father problem is some people try to not be submitted to god living out doing things on their own kind of flirting with evil on the right on the edge and then when they feel like oh my gosh there's there's temptation there's satan there's something they try to resist the devil and they're like why why is it not working it's not working because the power is in the first part submit yourselves therefore to god then resist the devil and he will flee See, I think we have to understand there is a real spiritual enemy. There is a real spirit world, and we need to be willing to recognize that. Because if not, we're just burying our head in the sand. The resurrected life awakens me to the world of the, of the unseen. Second, my eyes are open to eternity. My eyes are open when I my eyes are open to the unseen. My eyes are opened to eternity. Remember what he said in verse 18? We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, I begin to see eternity differently. How do you deal with eternity? Temporal versus eternal. I mean, we understand Jesus talked a lot about heaven. He talked about hell. John 14, remember he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He promises to take us, and we have this eternal destiny to live in communion and fellowship with Father. That's our eternal destiny. That being said, if we reject the free gift of God, Jesus, in Matthew 5 alone, in the Sermon on the Mount, three times speaks of hell. Revelation 20 talks about hell and the lake of fire. And, you know, I don't know how much those descriptions are actual physical descriptions. It's clearly a spiritual reality. It just sounds pretty bad to me. And I do know it is all about living separated from the God who created us and who gives life. And it's not good.
1: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called Eyes Wide Open, which is available right now for free on the sermon page at reallife.org and while you're there if you've been blessed by this teaching your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others just find the give tab at reallife.org and Pastor Sean Azaro now an author invites you to check out his brand new book This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: See, the question is, when my eyes are open to eternity, how do I focus? How am I supposed to focus? In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul said it this way. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Talking about resurrected life. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Our hearts, our desires, our passions. Set your mind on things above, our decisions, our thought life. Not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. See, this idea of being able to see, wait a minute, there's more. And look at the lens of our world. Look, look at our world through the lens of that more. That's why he said we fix our eyes on the unseen, because it's eternal. This scene, this is all temporal. It's eternal. Had a chance to see how very practical and important and serious this is. Recently, in our community group, we have a couple whose little girl goes to school with a uh, with a girl who, a little six year old, got a very severe form of cancer, and she passed away this last week. We've been praying for her. We've been praying for the family, getting updates. And I never met the girl. I don't know her family. I don't know anything about them. I just know I'd heard about her, and I've prayed for them. And when I heard that that little girl passed away. It was like a punch in the stomach. Because I'm a dad, I'm a grandfather. And all the questions come up, right? A six-year-old dying of cancer. Where was God? God, where were you in that? How could you let that happen? How could you? I got to raise my kids, and now I've got grandkids, and the thought of losing one of them, it's the unthinkable. How could you let a family go through that? And, and this is kind of where our minds will go if we'll let it. The problem is, and here's the problem, and, and in the group, this couple asked me as a pastor, how do you help people process that? And the first thing I recognize, there's no easy answers, and nothing I'm going to say is going to make it, oh, okay, well then good, then we can move on with our lives. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to do that, so don't, that's not your, that shouldn't be your objective. But what I did say and I encourage them just to even keep in mind as they pray for and support and love on this family, is that we make these judgments on God and we declare these motives and this character on God with very limited information. It's as though we could rip the roof off this building, okay? And God is up there. Okay? And that wall right there, that wall represents death. And we look at it, and it's final. That little girl is no longer on this side of the wall. She's gone. But God, who is above, goes, no, no, you don't understand. She's not gone. She's just gotten onto the real part of her life. And, and we have to decide if we believe that. We have to decide, do we really believe that? Because if we do, now it doesn't make it easier to the parent who had to let go of that child. Okay, it doesn't change that, except to say, my assumption is she's gone and it's over. And God's word says, no, 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 father sees. And this little part here, I don't care how long we live. This little girl only had six years and that is tragic to me. That being said, Um, in the scope of eternity, if we believe any of this, whatever 70, 80, or if we're really healthy, 90 years we get, it's a blip on the screen. And God says, that is not the whole of your life. We're just getting started. The best is yet to come. Eternity. Eternity starts when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, not after we die. And so that little girl is now living the life that she was meant to live in his presence, just like we will one day. Hers just got started earlier. And, and it just, it, it causes us to stop and go, wait a minute. If I think this is all there is, that's going to have some very practical ramifications with how I deal with grief, how I make decisions. But if I understand, no, no, this is only a part And that God is there, the roof is off, God can see. I can see God, but I can't see there. And if he looks down and says, no, she's with me, and she's doing good, you should see her, then I need to believe him instead of judging him. I had uh, had a uh, young man in my youth group first youth ministry assignment in California, young, Lori and I, young youth pastors, and great kid. Loved him, loved his family, his dad and I were friends, and we just really enjoyed each other. Um, after we had moved back to Texas, he, uh, he was, it was discovered he had cancer. And it was actually a medical, it was a mistake from the hospital. They lost some test results or got misplaced. So, something that would have detected it early, and a very operable type of cancer, went a long time without being detected. And so, um, you know, it was pretty severe. I ended up flying back out there because he was in his final days. And, you know, it was one of those things. I remember walking up the stairs to his room. I'll never forget that because my heart was so heavy. I love this kid, and he's 21. You know, again, tragic. And I remember walking up those steps trying to bolster myself to encourage him and bless him. That's what I was doing. I was, you know, kind of we pastors, we got pregame too, right, okay? This is this was this is like I love this kid, I love his family. I don't know what to say, but God, you gotta give me something. I get to the top of the steps, go into his room, and he's there, and we just start talking. How you doing, Josh? Da-da-da-da. Josh starts telling me how he's doing. And it's like the spirit of God was in the room. It was weird. It's like on the steps, I was talking to God, but he was way up there. But I get in the room and it's like he's here. And Josh, I quickly discerned, Josh is already in eternity. He's here. He's still praying for God to heal him. He's got family, friends, praying for healing, believes God can heal. But he has resolved that if I go, I'm still alive in him. He was literally here on this side already in eternity. So whether he lived or he died, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's where he, he was experientially there. I could tell you that theologically, but God hadn't brought me to that. I wasn't yet experientially there with him. And it was amazing. I was just, here's this kid. I'm, there, I'm his pastor. I'm there to minister to him, and he ministered to me. And it's just like I walked away going, wow, that's, I've taught it before. Eternal life doesn't begin after you die. It begins the minute you accept Christ. Now I've just seen it. I've seen it in my friend Josh. See, that's what the unseen and the eternal does to us. We see everything differently. Where are we going to focus? Tim Keller explains it, I think, beautifully. In his book on prayer, he says, imagine an eight-year-old boy playing with a toy truck, and then it breaks. He can't be consoled, and he cries out to his parents to fix it. He's still crying, and as he's crying, his father says to him, well, son, a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you $100 million dollars. Now, what will the child's reaction be? He's just going to cry louder until the truck is fixed, right? Because he doesn't have enough cognitive capacity to realize his true condition and to be consoled. In the same way, Christians lack the spiritual capacity to realize all we have in Jesus. This is the reason Paul prays that God would give Christians the spiritual ability to grasp the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of Christ's salvation. In general, our lack of joy is, as Shakespeare wrote, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. We're like the eight-year-old boy who rests his happiness in his stars or his circumstances rather than recognizing what we have in Christ. See, my eyes are open to the eternal, and that changes things. I, I see the big picture. The resurrected life awakens me to the world of the unseen. And last thing, my eyes are open to reality because... When, I am, when I'm closed off to the spiritual, to the supernatural, to the unseen, I am living with a partial reality. Remember what he wrote in 4.17? He said, for our light and momentary troubles. You think Paul's being kind of stiff upper lip kind of here? Is this a Winston Churchill thing? Or is he, is he serious? Does he see his troubles? You know, like the prison, the, the sickness, the beatings being shipwrecked, all the stuff that he really went through. Our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, that's the reality. Because he understood this isn't all there is. He understood that this stuff I'm facing, man, it's going to be a blip on the screen. Because there's something bigger. I see my current situation, my circumstances differently. And now my view is more real. How do we get to that place where we can see reality? A couple of thoughts just on how to engage the unseen. The first is faith, right? That's what Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 told us. Faith. It's the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. I want to challenge you. You want to learn to engage the unseen better? Very simply, in the areas where you know God has spoken, speaks through his word, speaks through prayer, where you know this is the way God would have me go, step out in obedience, act in faith because that's where the power of god is released that's where we begin to see it's like the unseen begins to peek out from behind the curtain when we step out in faith sadly i know christians who have professed faith for years and have never actually stepped out in faith and so they've never seen the power of god and i I gotta tell you their faith is pretty shaky you want to actually see the unseen step out in faith Watch for God's provision. Watch how God moves things that couldn't otherwise be moved. Watch the power of God work, and it will change the way you engage the unseen. A second way is prayer. To train your mind to begin to look at the unseen. Daily prayer in the Word, and then pray without ceasing as you walk through your days. You know, Asking the Lord about what you're walking through. And then there's a simple discipline that Paul talked about in Colossians. Set your heart and mind on things above, not on things here on earth. So try it this week. Try, when you walk through something, maybe you're going through something right now and you can immediately kind of see the application. Try stepping back and saying, Lord, I'm going to look up. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to think about the Spirit. I'm going to think about eternity. What are you doing here? How do you want me to respond? And see if you don't begin to develop just a habit of looking for the unseen.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Eyes Wide Open... It's available right now for free on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our contact us page or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.